Hey, it's Kathy. I just want to let you know that I'm doing a free five-day workshop. It's called the Abundance Activation Challenge, and it starts today. And it's not too late for you to join us. Today is the last day to join. Go to kathyheller.com slash five day to sign up. The pre-party has been happening and it's been such a blast. There's so many high vibe women in there who are ready to call in more abundance. I know that you will love that you showed up for this. I'll be live at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern every day this week, teaching you how to become a master manifester. You are just going to have the best time. If you want to join us, sign up at kathyheller.com slash five day. You find the intersection of the thing that you want to create with the thing that people want. And when you find that, you've got something powerful. You've got a business. If you're a person who's looking to have more purpose in your life, if you're saying to yourself, I don't want to just go to work, I want to do my life's work, this is the show. This is the show, don't keep your day job. How do you figure out how to take your passion and turn it into a profit? Life is too short not to wake up every day excited. You've got something that you've got to share with the world. I'm positive. That's why you're here. The show will not just give you inspiration, but some real life tools that you can start to take some real action week after week so that you can not just go to work and build someone else's dream. You can do the thing that you've always truly wanted to do. Make yourself the happiest version of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so happy that you're here. 2018, this is going to be your year. Thanks to Liquid IV for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Liquid IV is a non-GMO electrolyte drink mix and can provide the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water. Right now, my listeners get 20% off liquid-iv.com when you use my code DREAMJOB at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Thanks to Weebly for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Weebly is more than a beautiful website builder. It's an all-in-one platform for artists and entrepreneurs who want to sell their products, build their brand, and create successful online businesses. Go to weebly.com slash dreamjob to get 15% off your first purchase. Thanks to Slack for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Slack is a collaboration hub that lets you organize your team's work into channels where everyone is included, relevant information is in one place, and new team members can easily get up to speed. Learn more at slack.com. Thanks to Allbirds for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. All Allbirds makes stylish, comfortable shoes made from premium natural materials and sold direct online. Go to allbirds.com and find your pair of light, breezy shoes like the Tree Runners, only from Allbirds. Thanks to FTD for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. This Mother's Day, FTD can help express your feelings for mom through a floral work of art that's delivered straight to her door. To get 25% off a florist-style bouquet for mom this Mother's Day, go to ftd.com slash Mother's Day. That's ftd.com slash Mother's Day. Mother's Day is one word. FTD, they can arrange that. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So today's guest is the incredible Jeff Goins. He's a speaker, blogger, entrepreneur, and best-selling author of five books, including The Art of Work and Real Artists Don't Starve. His super popular award-winning blog, Goins Writer, is visited by millions of readers every year, and that's no surprise because it's completely packed with advice on writing, marketing, creative business ideas, and making a difference in the world. He also hosts a podcast called The Portfolio Life, and he created an online writing course called Tribe Writers. Through his online courses, events, and coaching programs, he helps thousands of writers succeed every year. He has a ton of ideas when it comes to identifying your passion and transforming it into a marketable business. And I think you're going to find a lot of value in what he has to say. I thought Jeff would be a perfect guest for this show because he's been helping people to figure out what they're truly put on this earth to do, what their work is, what is it that they really feel called to do. And he also has been helping artists figure out how to do your creative 
creative thing full-time and why you don't have to be a starving artist. You can make a living doing it. So I can't wait to dive into his story. Guys, I want to remind you that if you want to reach out to me, if you want to connect to me, the very best way and simplest way to do it is on Instagram. I check all my DMs and you'll see, you'll write to me and you will get a response um, from me, um, usually pretty quickly. You can find me at kathy.heller, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R. And I also try to post every single day something encouraging, inspiring, share a little about what I'm going through in my life. So come find me there. So one of our listeners, I just wanted to give her a shout out to her for her awesome news. Um, She posted on Instagram. She said, thank you so much, Kathy, for giving me the courage to start my Etsy shop. Your podcast has changed my life forever for the better. It's a work in progress, but per Jenna Fisher's episode, something is better done than perfect. So she started her Etsy shop and you can see it at Ambitious Babes BT. So go check that out. Give her some love. Let her know you heard about her on the podcast. We have another listener win. Sherry posted on the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. She said, so I did something that scared me. For a while, I've been designing and publishing quilt patterns and blogging about it. This week, I recorded my first homemade video from my home studio, included it in the blog post. The idea of producing my own video content has been on my list for a while, but it was so easy to procrastinate. The video is far from perfect, but few things in life are perfect. I decided I just had to do it. I'm hoping my authentic self is something quilters will relate to and in turn participate in my quilt along, everyone making the same quilt at the same time. I bring this up to inspire everybody. What's the next step? I plan on including these videos in the blog Quilt Along once a week for the next month. And she shared a link to the video on her blog, which is blog.wholecirclestudio.com. So proud of her. I think that's amazing. Great job, Sherry. So before we start this super great interview with Jeff, I just want to say thanks to one of our sponsors. Thanks to Liquid IV for supporting this podcast. I have to tell you guys that probably twice a year, I wind up at the urgent care because I get dehydrated and run down and I need to get an IV. And so Liquid IV is something that I can really endorse. I think it's something that's super helpful. It's a non-GMO electrolyte drink mix that can provide the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water. Plus it delivers hydration to the bloodstream faster and more efficiently than water alone. I love Liquid IV. I know you will too. Right now, my listeners get 20% off liquid-iv.com when you use my code DREAMJOB at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Go to liquid-iv.com and enter my code DREAMJOB to get your savings and start getting better hydration. That's liquid-iv.com, promo code DREAMJOB. Don't wait, get hydrated today. So without further ado, the wonderful, talented, and very wise Jeff Goins. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I've been wanting to have you for a while. Um, I think you're like a perfect guest for the show because you are both a maker, you're a writer, and you also have been spending so much of your time using your writing to encourage other people to do their thing. So I'm excited to dive into this with you. Before we start, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions based on your incredible work. I want to know a little bit about your story. How did you go from being Jeff, the eight-year-old kid, to where you are now? How did this happen that you become such a successful writer? Yeah, so I mean, my my whole life, I've always been creative, but I didn't really know what to do with that. I just knew that I liked making things and I was interested in a lot of different things, doodling. I I made my own comic books. Then in high school, uh, my dad taught me how to play guitar. I started writing songs. I went to college, loved writing. I was a writing tutor in college. And, you know, years later, um, I'm getting ready to graduate college and I don't really know what I'm going to do. I have writing, there's music, and then this opportunity to join a band and tour. So I joined this band and I tour and uh, 
during that year, I began to understand what I loved doing and what I didn't love doing. And, and I always thought like this was the thing, music. And here I am touring, playing music for a living. And I thought like this is the moment that I've arrived at and it's not what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, my my most exciting moment of the week was like writing this weekly blog post, updating our friends and parents and whatever fans we had on what we had done that week. And so I, I thought that was interesting. So I left that band. I ended up working with a nonprofit, became the staff writer at this nonprofit. You know, I did that for seven years. I eventually became the marketing director. I was basically promoting other people's messages and I was, you know, in my late 20s doing this job at the time. And I just began to feel like there was something more. And the long and short of it is I realized that I was supposed to be a writer, or at least that was the next thing for me. Yep. And so I started a blog, started writing, wrote and published a couple of books, eventually replaced and then multiplied my income. And it just made sense to leave that job and do writing full time. Wow. That's really cool. It's neat how you didn't even walk around identif- self-identified as a writer and it's become the thing that you are really famous for and you love doing it and you eventually aligned with that. There's so many different things to talk about, but I want to get to your book, which is the heart of why I feel like the floodgates opened for you because this really struck a chord with people what you wrote. So you wrote an amazing book called The Art of Work. It's a proven path to discovering what you're meant to do. And I can't believe how often I get um, emails from people who say, you know, I'm, I'm 41 or I'm 38 or I'm 57 and I still have no idea, you know, what am I really supposed to do with my life? So in the first chapter, you say, listening to your life. A call to something old, not new. What does that mean? How do we understand that? So a guy named Parker Palmer wrote a, a book on this concept of vocation, uh, which is much better than my book, uh, which was a good book too. But this book was incredible. It was life-changing for me. It's called Let Your Life Speak. And in that book, he says, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. Mm. And I think this question, who am I really, is so, so important. I believe that activity follows identity. Before you can go do something, you have to become someone. Yeah. That what we do, how we act, ultimately comes from who we think we are. That's right. So the way that we act, the things that we do, often come from who we think we are. So I actually don't believe in faking it till you make it. It sounds like semantics, but I think it's very different to believe it till you become it, hmm. right? As an act of faith, for me, my friend said this to me, right? He said, you are a writer. You just need to write. Uh, so there was something powerful about that. And I said, what if I just sort of acted as if this were true, right. but really, really believed it, not you fake it. it? Yeah. So listening to your life, and I start the book here because I think it's an important place to begin this journey of finding out what you're supposed to do is, is really a, a process of going, who am I? And uh, if you've lived enough life, and everybody listening to this has, you can look back on significant moments in your life and just be an observer and ask yourself, what are the themes? What are the things that made me feel most alive? Mm -hmm. what, what was I doing when I felt like I was being truest 
to myself. Not just how did I make the most money. Right. Uh, because if you love something, you're going to be able, if you feel like this is who you are. Yeah. Right. When I, when I decided I was going to be a writer, I felt like this was the truest version of who I was supposed to be in mm, that moment. That's so good. And so I committed myself to doing whatever I needed to do to fully become that. Yeah, that's so good. I've never heard it said that way, but I love it. It makes so much sense to me. So moving through this amazing book, um, second chapter, you talked about accidental apprenticeships. The teacher appears when the student least expects. Why Why was this such an important chapter to write? What do you, what do you want to say in this chapter? I think we live in an age where everybody wants to be the master and nobody's willing to be the apprentice. That's true. Every, you know, 20 something that I meet who has an opinion wants everybody to listen to it. On one hand, it's kind of amazing that we live in this age where like literally anybody can become a thought leader if they just understand a little bit of marketing, (laughs) a little bit of technology. Right. That's true. And on the other hand, it's very scary because we have a bunch of masters and no apprentices. And and I've always been fascinated with the concept of apprenticeship for uh, literally hundreds of years, something like 500 years. This was the way in Western society uh, that a person became a professional. And and so in the Middle Ages and in the Renaissance, uh, you had artists, makers, artisans, craftspeople who typically at the age of 12 would go work for a master and they would become an apprentice. Uh, And you didn't get paid, but you got room and board and you got an experience. And the apprenticeship season uh, lasted seven to eight years. Then the second part, you became a journeyman. And for two to three years, you would typically leave your town or city. You would travel the country and you would practice your craft as a professional. Then at the end of that season, around 10 years or so, you'd come back, you know, settle down or return to your hometown. And then you would submit some piece of work. This was called a masterpiece. You would submit it to the guild and you would say, is this good enough? Do I pass the test? And all the other masters in the community would say, this is good or this is not good. And they would either accept it or reject Mm -hmm. it. If they rejected it, you'd have to try again. And you could spend your entire life never reaching master status if you weren't good enough. Wow! But if they accepted it, you joined the guild and now, and only now, could you apprentice other people. Yeah. So it was a process that took at least 10 years. And these days you graduate college. Uh, and I, I did this. I mean, lots of people do this. You graduate college. You're like, where's my job? Where's the paycheck? Oh, where's right. the benefits? Right. You want you know? that immediate result and there's no real reverence for mastering something. You really just want to like, just do it, have it. Yeah. Instead of acting like an apprentice going, how do I learn? And so I think when you're trying to find your life's work, your purpose, your calling, whatever you want to think of it as, when you're trying to find this thing that you're meant to do, um, first of all, nobody just knows. You have to figure it out along the way. Clarity comes with action. Second, life is your teacher. And everywhere you go, every job you have, every bad boss, everything, I believe, is meant to teach you something. Mm -hmm. And the apprenticeship, lasts as long as it needs to until you get the lesson. Yep. So good. I want to dive into some other questions, but first a quick word from our sponsors. 
Thanks to Weebly for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Weebly is the easiest way to create an incredible looking website. Its e-commerce platform has the tools you need to sell products, create marketing campaigns, tell your brand story, and more. And because Weebly's mission is to help turn people's great ideas into successful online businesses, they built an incredible support team, no scripts, no robots, just a friendly human who can help you do what needs doing. So if you've got a product or idea you want to share with the world, check out Weebly. Have your online store set up and running in a matter of hours. Because you listen to this podcast, visit weebly.com slash dream job and get 15% off your first purchase. That's weebly.com slash dream job. Thanks to Slack for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Slack is a collaboration hub that lets you organize your team's work in easily searchable channels, whether it's projects, interests, teams, or by office. All the right people are always in the loop. Relevant information is in one place and new team members can easily get up to speed. You can organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives all in one easy-to-use app. No more searching through emails or switching across multiple tabs to keep updated with work. You can drag and drop file sharing that works with all apps you already use like JIRA, Salesforce, Zendesk, and Google Drive. Plus, you can tailor Slack to work with more than a thousand other apps. With mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. I want to talk about how you were able to do all of these things. You said that you were able to make a living and eventually you were able to quit your day job. So you've written a couple of different blog posts about this. One was like three steps you can take to start making a living writing. You yeah. also wrote something about three essential steps to turn your passion project into a business. Um, let's talk about what you have to say about how to do this. You know, I have really um, strong views on some of this stuff that I think is a little bit counter to what the creative community likes to say about these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, I think passion is great. I don't think it's sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient to become a full-time artist or creative or even mm -hmm. a part-time one, in my mm -hmm. opinion, because it is a business. And I do believe that you can spend the majority of your time doing the thing that you love. Uh, but I also believe that you have to adopt some disciplines that go beyond the hobby of writing music or writing books or making any kind of thing. And things didn't change for me until I realized, you know what? Like I have to grow up a little bit. If I want to make money doing this, I have to care about making money doing this and not yes. just yes. follow my passion and trust that the money's going to come. So first and foremost, I think it's a job. It doesn't mean that if you're not making money, you're not a real artist. But it also doesn't mean that if you're not willing to understand the business, which includes marketing and sales and management and all these different things, if you're not willing to learn those skills to yeah. do that job, you can't be pissed that nobody's paying attention to you or paying you money to mm -hmm. do Correct. your art. I you know agree what I'm with saying? you. Absolutely. Yep. So, Absolutely. There's stuff that I do just because I love it. I still write songs. I still love it. On the other hand, I don't believe that just because you end up getting paid to do the thing that you love, it's no longer fun. It changes. It becomes a job. But I don't believe that it's like not fun anymore. It's not art anymore. So in terms of how do you make a living doing this thing that you love, you have to understand the business of it. You have to be willing, in my opinion, to build a bridge, not take a leap. So yeah. what we often hear good. is survival stories of people who leapt and didn't fall to their deaths. Yep. Right. 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 You know? And so I think the idea of taking a leap, um, it works sometimes for some people, but 90% of the people that I know who have done that 
musicians, writers, creatives, they went back to Starbucks. Yeah, I love this idea of building a bridge. Such a great way to say it. And because you even said in your own story that you started writing a blog, you started to do these things, and then you left your day job. Yeah. So how can we start taking action? Like, what does it mean if I want to start building a bridge and I have this job and it's just, I'm just so desperate to quit it, but I can't, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to have health insurance or pay the bills. What can I start doing? Well, first of all, you have to make sure that the job that you have will help launch you into the thing that you want to do. You know, if you're working a corporate executive or director or manager level job, and you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and you simply don't have the margin to work on your art, then it might make more sense for you to quit that job and you know take a pay cut mm-hmm. and make whatever you need to make, get, get some health insurance, have some stability, uh, but then from there, have some freedom and flexibility to work on the thing. So first yeah. of all, make sure the place that you're at is a, is a good enough launching pad that you've got enough stability that you don't have to worry about paying the bills this month. How many hours a week do you think you need as a margin? Because you did it while you had a job, a day job, and a lot of people have a side hustle. In your opinion, how, how much time do you think you need? I think if you can do as little as 30 minutes a day, uh, that's a pretty good start. Uh, I averaged about one to two hours a day. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can launch something with... 10 to 20 hours a week, that's plenty of time to work on the business side of growing the thing. Now, of course, I'm assuming you've done the work, right? You've you've spent years and years practicing your craft. You can't like pick up a guitar right. or a keyboard tomorrow. <laughs> like six months from now, <laughs> I will have a best-selling right. album, right? Yeah. 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 But that, I mean, that's not most people, right? Most people are like, I've been doing this since I was a kid. I finally realized I really want to make a go at it. And I think if you're, if you're at that point and you're like, I just need to figure out how do I get my name out there? How do I build sort of the business side of this thing? Man, an hour a day, that's powerful. And, and I did that for two years and then I quit my job. How are you spending the time in that one to two hours? Were you purely doing the content part, just writing a blog, or were you building other things, like an email list? Were you working on the business side in other ways? What are some of the things to be prioritizing if you have a limited amount of time in order to be putting the bricks one at a time to build the bridge? I think for most creative industries, audience is king. Like if you have an audience, right. you can sell records, you can sell books, you can sell your right. ideas. Makes sense. Uh, and if you don't, you know, if you don't have a fan base, you're really struggling, right? You're, you're trying to pedal a bike uphill. So I understood somewhat intuitively, somewhat just through observation that the authors, the bloggers, the thought leaders that I was following, they had an audience, they had a platform. And so I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to focus on first, building the audience. Because if I have that, it makes everything else easier. And I, re- I remembered listening to a blogger that I was following at the time saying, I didn't have a business strategy. I didn't know how I was going to make money. But I knew that if I built an audience, that I could probably sell them something. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I thought you're supposed to build a business, create the thing that you want to sell, and then go find people for yes, it. Yes, 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 yes. And... What if we're the opposite, right? Like, what if you practice your craft in public and then you saw what resonated with people and you saw what didn't? So how do you do that as a writer? How are you building your audience? 
I decided that I was going to write a new blog post every day for at least the next year. And I was committed to trying this out for a total of two years before I would quit. And so that was the habit that, you know, I would wake up every day at about 6am and I would write. And eventually I created like systems and idea, you know, and, and processes to make this easier, but I would just get up and write an article. So you had that commitment. So from a business standpoint, when you're not only practicing the craft, what are the things that people maybe should be thinking about? So I, I spent six months writing my blog kind of for myself, but also to kind of figure out what's going to work, what's going to resonate. And then I got to month six and I was like, oh, I, everybody talks about email lists. I guess I need an email list. So then I started creating like free eBooks and resources based on what was resonating with the people that I, my audience, people that were reading my blog posts. And I said, Hey, if you get this thing for free, you get this thing for free. If you sign up for my email list. And in a week I went from like 70 email subscribers to over a thousand. Wow. Which is incredible. And now I had an audience that I could go, what do you want? And I like literally, uh, I was like, well, are there any things that you would pay me for? I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do here. And uh, I kept growing that email list. You know, I began to learn that one of the best ways to grow your audience is to go find existing audiences, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a writer, go to go write for blogs or magazines or publications where they already have a, a large readership or go you know get on get on somebody's podcast your stuff your content your art is going to resonate with somebody and then they'll go find you and join your audience not everybody but if but somebody and you do that over and over and over again you grow the audience then you ask the audience and then you find the intersection of the thing that you want to create with the thing that people want that's right and when you find that you've got something powerful you've got a business Yep. I'm feeling like there's, I wish I had you for three more hours. So I'm going to try to get as much of this in. So in the second part of this book, and you guys have to read it because you're going to love it. The second part, we talk about action and you talk about building bridges. And then you talk about pivot points. Why failure is your friend. Why is failure Mm -hmm. your friend when it feels so awful? What do you mean by that? You know, so most of us feel like we're sort of tripping through life, trying to find the way. And I think that's life. But it seems to me that there are those who get out of the dark and find a path. And there are those who wander for most of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, I just tell all these stories of people who found that thing. And they always described it as an act of faith where they were following a path, but they couldn't see too far ahead. They didn't know how it was going to end. And so the idea of pivot points is typically... In any story, in any journey, you're going to go, all right, all right, we want to get there, right? Like there's the destination, there's success. And then like life happens, right? You start moving towards the thing that you think is the goal and all this crap happens. Uh, You get sick, your partner gets cancer, you know, like awful, terrible, hard things happen. In a story, we expect these things. We call it conflict. It's what makes a story interesting. Mm, interesting. But in life, we're like... What? Why? Yeah, no good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So on one hand, we should expect these things. On the other, we can miss the fact that, again, um, there's this anonymous quote that everything in life is preparing you for what's to come. And as you begin to move towards something and you experience a setback or a failure, what if this is a lesson? What if there's something here? And the lesson isn't just you are an idiot, Right. Like, may, what if there's something serendipitous that is happening here 
And so pivot points is this idea that you'll run into an obstacle uh, instead of going through it, which is the very like American, you know, bootstrapper mentality. What if, what if you had to go around it? What if you had to pivot? Yeah. And you had to use the obstacle, the setback. You had to use it in a way that, that helped you succeed. So every person I talked to, I said, if it weren't for this failure and this heartbreak and this thing, would you be where you are mm. today? And I said, no, absolutely not. Yeah. And so a pivot point actually is a course correction. And it moves you in a slightly different direction. And, and so as we begin to experience setbacks, failures, we get fired, we get in a fight, whatever. What if there's something more to it than I've got to knock this thing down? What if this is also another lesson and something that you can use to grow? And I think all of those failures are sort of signposts along the way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you don't try hard. It doesn't mean you don't work better to improve at it. But it does mean that if you keep trying to make something happen and it creates more angst and more anxiety and more frustration in your life, maybe that's a lesson too. Yeah. That's really good. And it's so true when you asked it like that, you know, where would you be? Would you be doing this right. if that hadn't happened? I can say for myself and my own struggles, no, absolutely right. not. So that's a beautiful way to look at it. I love how you also said like you expect this in a story. You do. So one of the things that you've become famous for is this idea, which is the title of your second book, which is Real Artists Don't Starve. And mm -hmm why the story of the starving artist needs to die. And I love, love, love this because it's completely shifting the way that people glorify that so much. Um, not right. only glorify it, but they just accept it as that is what will happen. Either I do this job my parents say is practical or I go do my art and I starve. Let's talk about this. First okay. of all, why do you think the story of the starving artist needs to die? And then we're going to get into your book. I think the story of the starving artist needs to die because it's not true. You don't have to starve uh, to be a real artist. And the reason I know this is because uh, not too long ago, I discovered something that I'd never heard before, which is that Michelangelo, the famous artist of the Renaissance. Yeah, I've heard about him. <laughs> was the richest artist of his time. What? Not only that, he was the richest artist who had, never, who had ever lived at that point, meaning Nobody, no oh painter, no goodness. sculptor, nobody who'd come before him hmm. had done what he did, which was he became a member of the aristocracy. He became part of the social elite. Amazing. Now, he wasn't just an outlier. When he died, he, he had a fortune worth over $50 million. He wasn't an outlier in the sense that he did this amazing thing and then nobody did it after him. He actually set a new norm after Michelangelo there were many wealthy artists. It's he crazy. Set a wow. New precedent. Wow. Yeah. And and, and so the, the idea of the starving artist, first of all, is a very new idea, right? It's 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 something that we've had in the past hundred or so years. It started with the Romantic period and has kind of continued into today. Uh, but I think it's a myth in the sense that uh, myths are stories that we tell ourselves mm -hmm. uh, that help us make sense of reality. Yeah. Right. And some myths are true and some are not. Uh, but if you tell yourself the same story enough times, it becomes true, mm -hmm. right? So if I go, 
Artists can never make money. Writers can never make money. Well, guess like guess what happens in your life? <laughs> you know, as an artist, as a writer, as a whatever, you don't make any money because you're not going to try to change this thing if you think this is the way things are. Yeah. So on one hand, we've got Michelangelo and we've got, you know, uh, classic artists, creatives, even creative entrepreneurs who made a killing, you know, uh, or, or just an honest living without ever compromising their art. So you don't have to sell out to be successful and you don't have to starve to be true to your art. So on one hand, we have history kind of working against this myth. And then on the other hand, we have this incredible emergence. And I suspect you've seen some of this too, Kathy, of of brilliant creative people who refuse to believe this myth. I'm not talking about Taylor Swift. I'm not talking about super famous people. I'm talking about a dozen uh, musicians, you know, local songwriters that I know. I'm talking about visual artists. I'm talking about writers. I'm talking about cartoonists. I'm talking about all these different people that I personally know who are being true to their art. They're not super famous and they are making more than an honest living. Not all of them are rich. Oh, absolutely. Not all of them are the wealthiest artists of their time. But that's not what most creative people I know want. And it wasn't even what, you know, necessarily Michelangelo wanted. Uh, But this idea that you've got to starve and struggle and be poor to be true to your art, it's not true. And there's an abundance of evidence to prove it. But it can become true if you want to believe it, for sure. So that's fascinating. I've never heard that Michelangelo was a multimillionaire and to think of that as something that's been spanning the test of time that artists have actually lived a totally different life than starving by any stretch so i have a couple questions before we dive into um some of the chunks of this great book you wrote this other book that you wrote what if you 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 start to do all of these things but you thought this was the thing you're good at and the world is like um crickets like it's not when do you know when to give up people ask me this all the time like how do you know if you're being true to your path and it just takes more perseverance or it's like i actually think i'm on the wrong path or i don't have a talent that's worth really focusing on because it's never going to happen for me i ask the same question to so many creative successful interesting people that i knew yeah <laughs> i said how did how did you know this was the thing and almost every single person told me the same thing which was i didn't hmm. i think i think the honest answer is you don't really know i mean i could like give you like an arbitrary test or i could just say something you know sort of uh mystical like well you just know i think you don't know but i think you have to listen you either have to listen or refuse to listen Right? I think most of life is about becoming or creating who we are. And, and the cool thing is like you are 100% in charge of that. You are 100% in charge of this person that you get to be. The problem is when we think we're not, right? Yeah. And so I often think about this because success is great. You know, money is fine. Uh, people knowing who you are can be nice. But I go, well, what if I got hurt? Or what if like the internet imploded? Or like, wait, what if something just changed? Would I cease to be who I am? I don't, I don't think so, right? And so on, on one hand, going back to the very beginning of this conversation, like I, I'm, I'm a writer now, but, but when my friend said, you know, oh, if I couldn't do music, I don't know what I'd do. And I thought I would just do something else. I, if I couldn't write, I would probably do something else. 
and still feel creatively fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about this, Kathy, but when I hear people say this, I get very concerned when they say, if I can't do this, I'm done. I don't know what I'll do. If I can't sell this record or I can't get paid to perform or I can't, you know, be a full-time novelist, I just don't know what what I'll do. Because there is luck. There is timing. There is understanding what the market wants and being able to do that dance. And not every artist is willing to do that, wants to do that, or even should do that. But the realities are pretty clear. Either you have to find out what people want and then give that to them in a way where uh, it connects. So I don't I don't think it's about being good enough, right? Because we can all point to famous people who are amazing at their craft yeah. and then like maybe are not so amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. But they found something marketable and we can sneer at that. We can turn our noses up at that. We can, you know, say, oh, it shouldn't have to be this way, but it is that way. Yeah. So if we're just speaking candidly, you either have to be willing to do that dance and it is a dance or not. And, and that doesn't mean that you have to quit or give up. It just means yeah. I'm going to get a job that's going to pay my income uh, and I, I want to have the freedom and flexibility to work on this. Yep. Lewis Hyde writes about this in his book. And I talk about this in Real Artists Don't Starve. At the very end of the book, he calls it the gift. And one of the hardest things about being an artist, about creating art, is it is not the same thing as making a widget, right? Yeah. You know, it's not the same thing as my iPhone breaks. I have to use this to talk to people. And right. so I'm going to go buy another iPhone. Um, and so there is this angst and he says this, he says, art exists in two economies, the gift economy, uh, and the market economy. The gift economy is, you know, what our ancestors did where they didn't have currency and they exchanged gifts and services. It was a barter economy and it's based on, uh, this idea of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. I do some, I, I give my gifts to the community and the community gives their gifts back to me. And you never like... It's not like the mob or like, I do you a favor and you owe me now, but it's understood that this whole thing doesn't work if we stop giving our gifts to each other. Right. And the market, market economy, which is what we live in now uh, in Western society and you know most of the world, is very different. I make this thing. It has to be useful to you. And mm-hmm. then you give me money for that thing. Right. And I use that money to go buy more things that are useful That's right. to me. Yep. And he says art exists in both economies. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, look, I I want you to be good at your craft, but this idea that you have to just get better, I mean, how many amazing artists do all of us know who don't need to get any better? They just need to get a little bit better at marketing. They need to, you know, understand business a little bit better. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into the last questions, we'll take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. Thanks to Allbirds for supporting our podcast. Allbirds makes stylish, comfortable shoes like it's tree runners made from ethically sourced eucalyptus tree fibers and sold direct online. Allbirds is on a mission to prove that comfort, style, and sustainability can all coexist in one pair of shoes. No unnecessary logos, just a simple, comfortable shoe design that's light and breezy, offering cooling comfort. Plus, Allbirds makes their shoes sustainably without compromising on quality. I love my Allbirds shoes. I seriously love them. I wear them everywhere I go. People give me compliments on them. They're super comfortable. Allbirds shoes prove that comfort, style, and sustainability don't have to be mutually exclusive. Go to allbirds.com and find your pair of light, breezy, comfy shoes made from trees. That's allbirds.com and find a pair of tree runners right for you. 
Thanks to FTD for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. I want to wish my mom such a happy Mother's Day. I hope that she knows this Mother's Day and every day how much my sister and I both appreciate who she is and her character and how much she gave us and how much she sacrificed for us. My mom um, was really the one who tucked us in and took us to dance classes and let us know that we were loved no matter what. So I just wanted to wish you, Mom, a happy Mother's Day. And this Mother's Day, FTD can help express your feelings for your mom through a floral work of art that's delivered straight to her door. Sure, you could send her a text, but what a great way to show the moms in your life how much you care with breathtaking flower arrangements from FTD's Expert Florist Network. They have amazing bouquets and arrangements that will brighten her home and her day. Just recently, I got the most amazing bouquet from FTD. Um, you know what I'll do? I'm going to take a picture of it and post it on my Instagram because I was just overwhelmed with how gorgeous it was. To get 25% off a florist style bouquet for mom this Mother's Day, go to ftd.com slash Mother's Day. That's ftd.com slash Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is one word. FTD. They can arrange that. So I want to talk about this in your book, Real Artists Don't Starve, Timeless Strategies to being able to do this in the, in the current creative age. Like how do we make a living? The first thing you talk about is mindset. The second thing you talk about is marketing. And the third thing you talk about is money. I want to talk about the marketing and the money because we've talked a little bit about the mindset. But before we move on to marketing and mindset, um, let's just talk about one quick thing you say in part one, which is stop trying to be an original. And I also Mm. love where you say harness your stubbornness. Let's talk about those two (laughs) things. And then we're going to move on to the marketing part. Yeah. Similar to this idea that you just have to be good. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want you to be good. I want you to not be bad, right? But when Nirvana came out, were they good? Um, They were intentionally trying to break all the rules that had been set in the 80s. On one hand, it was um, really good. I don't know if it was good art, but like they knew their craft. Yeah, yeah, totally. These incredible guitarists, right, who are doing amazing things. You know, we look back and go, that's kind of kitschy, depending on your sensibilities. And they, you know, what do they do? They're like screaming. It's not quite off key, but it's brash. There's lots of feedback. (laughs) Like it's not, it's not better, Yeah. but it's different. And it's what people were yearning for before they knew that they wanted it. And so this is that idea that it's not, it's not just about being better. It's, it's about doing something that people want. But when we start out, we go, I've got to be original. Wasn't Nirvana so original? No. Mm-hmm. And what they were doing was they were copying people who had come before them and then riffing on it. You know, they were taking the punk movement and they were adding some melody to it, right? And and adding a little bit of rock uh, and, and then reacting to something that people were sort of disenchanted with. So stop trying to be original. What I have observed, and I, I know this is true, with every creative professional uh, I've ever met and, and every biography that I've read of, you know, famous authors, artists, and so on, which is a lot of them, is none of them set out to be original. Uh, they all initially got good by simply copying the masters who had come before them. Like, quite literally. Twyla Tharp, who's a famous dancer and choreographer, world famous, um, she would go to the dance studios in New York City and she would literally stand behind the best dancers in the studio and mimic their movements. Interesting. Until she got it into her bones. She says in her book, The Creative Habit, which is a great book, that skill gets imprinted yeah. through action. Many famous authors uh, 
will uh, literally write pages and pages of their favorite books to just understand what it feels like that's to write so that way. interesting whoa what oh it's I? it's it's very very common but how do you make sense of that when you're trying to be someone that's unique in this world and you want to feel like there's there's a you and there, there's a reason for you being unique and then you're being told truly you need to learn to copy other people well i i say in the book that great art starts with copying but it doesn't end there you know you, yeah. every, we all begin mimicking i mean if you think about this this is how we begin our lives right like as children oh, as babies yeah, we're literally true. mimicking our parents yeah but at a certain point as a human being you kind of become your own person and i and i believe in individuality i believe that we are more than the sum of our parts we are more than composites of a bunch of different influences yeah but we all kind of start with the same raw material and so you just have to acknowledge this is where i begin but this is not where i end yeah and so my originality is you know this concept of everything as a remix Mm -hmm. it's my blend of all these different influences of things that inspire me yeah and when i share it with the world i imagine you've done this i've certainly done this i'm so afraid that everybody's going to see everything it's a sham. Yeah. I copied that and I copied that and I copied yeah. that. And I tried to do what that person did with this thing, but I don't think I did it as well. And I share it and they say things like, wow, you're so creative. That's so original. I've never seen anything like this before. And that's kind of what making art is. It's cool. It's really neat. And it's it's true. We do start our lives that way. Um, what do you mean by harness your stubbornness? So... Going back to like this, the dance idea, like you dance with art and commerce and successful artists and creatives understand how to be true to their art and also how to give the market what it wants and to kind of do that dance. I think Jim Henson is a great example of this. There was a great biography slash like business book mm-hmm. um, about him by a woman named Elizabeth Hyde Stevens. And um, the book was called Make Art, Make Money. And it's a fascinating book because it just talks about how he was always true to his art, never gave into the commercial pressure, you know, never had um, commercials on Sesame Street. You know, that's why they would say this this episode is brought to you by the letter B because he refused. Wow, and he refused so to turn them into products. He was very anti, you know, capitalism or commercialism. At the same time, he was a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, And so there is a way to do this dance. Uh, But part of what makes you successful is stubbornness. But also part of what makes you a failure is stubbornness. And it seems to me that those who succeed learn how to be stubborn about the right things. And in the book, I uh, talk about how Jeff Bezos uh, did this, you know, he, and he's, he's creative in a, in a very different way. And, um, he would say this about Amazon. He would say, we're stubborn on vision, flexible on details. Artists get in trouble when they're stubborn about the details and they lose sight of their vision. I think we can all relate to this. We're picky about stupid things. But they're not stupid. Like the, we're like yeah. if if this isn't this way, it won't be right. Yeah. 
I've totally seen that in people up close. Yeah. It's, it's it's exhausting. It's hard to work with people yeah. when they're that um, obsessed over details. And it's hard for them to move forward and just like let it be what it is. Um, in part two, you talk about market and cultivating patrons. And I think that everybody is, you can never know enough about it. How do you cultivate patrons? What, what do you think is most important for people to take away from that part? So when I think of patronage today, I mean, first of all, I think back to Michelangelo and his patron was, one of his patrons was Lorenzo de' Medici. And this is kind of the first domino to fall in his life. Uh, he ends up apprenticing for uh, an, an artist named Ghirlandaio for only about a year or so. And then uh, he moves into uh, the Medici household, where which is a game changer for him. He's a young teenage boy. He ends up growing up with uh, future popes and princes in the Medici household. And, and it changes his life, and it elevates him from being just another artist to becoming the wealthiest artist of his time, wow. mostly through social connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the interesting thing about art is there is privilege and opportunity and all these things that you're like, well, of course, you know, because he had this. And yeah, I mean, that's a reality. However, I think the age that we live in today, mm-hmm. the playing field is a lot more level, at least in terms of you've got an idea, you've got a thing, you've got a story, something to share with the world. You have the tools to get it out there. But as you begin to use those tools, one of the ways that you can accelerate your success is find somebody uh, who I call a patron. But basically, it's somebody with a lot of influence uh, that if you can get them to vouch for you, you can become much more successful much more quickly. And in the book, I share this concept that I think is so important, kind of goes along with this idea of apprenticeship, and I call it the case study strategy, which is which is just a very simple way of reaching out to people who have influenced you, authors, podcast hosts, speakers, entrepreneurs, other musicians, other artists, whatever your thing is, reach out to somebody uh, who is either uh, a master of your craft in your industry or they're a taste maker, right? There's mm-hmm. somebody who influences the tastes of other people, which is right. very, very true in art. We think, oh, that art is good because so-and-so said it was good, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to objectively say this is good. Again, going back to the, Nir- the Nirvana example, yeah. my dad was like, oh, he can't sing. <laughs> you know, And I'm like, oh, right. it's amazing. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, case study strategy. Very simple. If you get nothing else from this chat, I would do this. Dear so-and-so, Thank you for X, something that they've created. It helped me do Y, something that you actually practically did with whatever that was. Ooh, that's good. You actually did it. It's not actually just did some it. random email. Yeah, right, right. So, Keep somebody going. read Real Artists Don't Starve and emailed me and said, thank you for this. I am now painting the royal family for uh, some like Eastern European country. That's amazing. <laughs> I was like, what? That's a, like I was elated. Um, thank, dear so-and-so, thank you for X. It helped me do Y. Now, what about Z? And that could be, do you have any other resources for me? Is there anything else I can work on? Uh, and here's the thing. With the case study strategy, you're just trying to begin a relationship. It, it starts as an apprenticeship, but ultimately ends in patronage where they say, look at this person. They're really doing it. And so this is that sort of like willingness to be influenced, to be an apprentice, to let somebody who knows more than you know and has resources that you want to go, hey, I 
I'm doing this stuff, right? And I have, I have a friend who uh, did this with his email list. He's like a uh, online teacher and he emailed his list and he said, I want to promote you. And in order to promote, uh, in order for him to promote, you had to do these like 10 things, right? This is hey. so cool. Yeah, I keep going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's crazy. Here's the crazy part. So you email, like, I want to promote you. Do this, do this, do this. You know, share how I've helped you with something. And it, like, it was like sort of self-promotion. Like make a video of, of this, post it on Facebook, do this, this. Ten things, right? I want to promote you. And uh, a friend of mine responded to this. A guy named Mike uh, responded to this. He did all ten things. And he said, okay, I did all ten things. What now? And the teacher, this guy, this guy his name is Ray. Ray called Mike and he goes... You, you did all, all of these things? He goes, yeah, here's the evidence. Here's the link and the thing and the thing. And, the, and it was like a contest, you know, whoever, uh, you know, was in the top 10, they would, you know, he would promote them. And Mike was like, was I in the top 10? And Ray goes, you're the one person who did this. You're the only one. Wow. What does that mean? <laughs> it, means it's, it means it's easy to ask somebody to promote your thing. It's a lot harder to actually earn influence and get somebody the hard part is not getting you kathy to promote somebody's music their work whatever the hard part is doing the necessary work to earn the attention of somebody who can help magnify your influence wow you gotta you gotta do the work but it's not just about doing the work you have to let the people who have influenced you uh know that you did what they said. And it's, really it's cool. always about turning it back around to them, giving them the credit, saying, I did this because I learned this from you. And if you're not outshining them, not trying to like impress them, if you just make a habit of doing this, nobody owes you anything. Like if you somebody emails you, Kathy says, you know, I listened to this episode and then I did this, you don't owe them anything. But I suspect that if somebody kept doing this, kept yeah. showing up, said, yes. I do everything that you say, yep. I'm a musician just like you are, uh, you yeah. know, what do I do next? I believe that you believe that they can succeed, right? If they just keep doing the work. And you probably over time will want to help them, want yeah. to talk about them, will want to point. Yeah. Say, Guys, yeah. this is real. You can do this. Look at so-and-so. Yeah. Um, and so that's the case study strategy. And that's the best way for you to get a patron today. That's super, super cool. I really could do this for hours, but since I want to be respectful, I want to just sum it up. What's your advice for people listening? What is it that you want them to take away from this? What do you want them to hear you say? I think for me, the biggest source of angst in my life was not that I wasn't successful, uh, but that I was doing something that didn't feel like it was in alignment with who I really was. Yes, yes. And right. even today, it's a question that I'm grappling with. Because I think it's a lifelong struggle. Of course. Like we are constantly creating is. ourselves. And that can be really exciting or it could be really scary and discouraging. So if you have to start somewhere, I don't think it's about being successful uh, or goals or wanting it or even trying I think it's about finding out what I really want. How does this align with who I understand that I really am? Because most of us want to spend our days doing the thing that we believe only we can do. Yeah. The way that we do it with the care and empathy and focus that only we can bring to it. Doesn't mean you are 
the best in the world at that thing in the sense that you know you're you're technically better than everybody else who's ever done this in your industry but rather you have a whole new category on one hand i want you to be successful i want your art to shine i want you to make enough money that you can focus on this thing on the other hand be very very careful with all this advice that you're not applying this and you end up climbing a ladder only to realize it's leaning against the wrong wall, mm. which I really think is is failure. The, the greatest kind of failure is success at the wrong thing. Because if you just fail, you could try again or you can try something different. You can learn from it. If you succeed at the wrong thing, yeah. now yeah. you're trapped. So I think it really begins with what do you want and do you even know? Because... One of two things is probably true. You don't know, and therefore you're just trying all the things, and it's not working. Or maybe you uh, have already achieved it, and you just never let yourself feel that, I actually kind of have what I want. And more would be great, too. One of the things that I had, because ambition took me down an ugly path for a few years, is when I set out to do this, I was making $30,000 a year. The year that things took off for me, I made over $150,000, which is more money than I ever thought I would make. And I've made you know, every year more money than that. But my whole goal was to replace my income, which is about thirty grand, to replace my wife's income, which was about thirty grand. She could stay home and be a mom for a season, which she did. And I could write and speak and share my ideas and people would care. And I would make enough right. money that my bills would be paid and you know, right. kids could go to college. Right, And so there was a moment recently, not too long ago, that I woke up and realized I won the race that I was running in 2012. Yes. I, I passed the finish line. And now I could keep moving the finish line forward and saying, you're not there yet. You're not there yet. You're not there oh, God, yet. Welcome to my life. Which yeah. I did for years. Or I could say, now I'm just running for the fun of it. Oh, that's so nice. Doesn't mean you have to stop. You know, Seth talks about finite and infinite games. But this can just be a thing that you do for the rest of your life because you have a gift that you want to share with the world. And money is not the point. Money is a means, not a master. We make money so that we can make more art. But I think I, I challenge you to go, what do I really want? Have I achieved it? And if not, what do I need to do to get there, but there will be a point when you cross that finish line and you have a decision to make. Do I keep moving the goal? Do I keep using shame to motivate me to do more? Or do I run for the sheer pleasure of it? Wow, that was something I really needed to hear and I really appreciate it. I always feel like I I keep moving that needle forward and it makes me feel like I'm never enough. And yeah. I think for some people, especially people who are successful, there is this constant unrelenting quest to be enough. And in one way, it makes me really productive. And in other ways, it's like I did, you know, check off all those things I wanted to achieve. Maybe I should just enjoy it. It is so great to hear you say that. What a gift Mm. to just take a minute and enjoy your life because, yeah, why else are you here? Yeah. Doesn't mean that you have to stop or sit on the sidelines, but it could change your disposition. And I think it's true for successful, unsuccessful. I think it's true for anybody is you have to decide. This is a decision that you get to make. Either I start the race believing 
that I've already finished, that I already am enough, that I don't have to get something that I don't already have inside right. of me, or I have to spend my life striving, using my accomplishments to put something inside of me that probably is already there. So that's why I think it begins mm-hmm. with who are you really? And then from there, you don't like have to sit on the couch and eat potato chips, but the game doesn't have to end. I you don't have that. to accomplish already, things. I love it. You're already that. You're already <laughs> that. I love it. It's at least worth considering. It's amazing, of course. It's definitely at least worth considering. Uh, before we sign off, you're working on so many things. What's going on? Where can we find more of you? You know, um, if, if folks have enjoyed this, you feel free to pick up my books. You can visit me at goingswriter.com. If there's anything that resonated with you, you can send me an email and you can find all that information on my website. Amazing. Thank you for being such an extraordinary human. Mm, likewise. It's lovely, lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Wow, Jeff, you had so much incredible wisdom to share. Let me see if I can come up with a few takeaways, even though there's so, so many. Number one, you can do the thing you love, but if you want to make a business, you must adopt disciplines that go beyond the hobby. Number two, build the bridge instead of taking the leap. Number three, before telling your life what you'll do with it, listen to it tell you who you are. Number four, be willing to be the apprentice before trying to become the master. Number five, pivot around the obstacles instead of trying to run through them. Let failures be the signposts that redirect you along the journey. Number six, it's not about being the most talented. It's about knowing what the market wants. Number seven, great art starts with copying, but it doesn't end there. Number eight, be stubborn on vision, but be flexible on details. Number nine, cultivate patrons. Do the work, then reach out and say, thank you for X. It helped me do Y. What about Z? Number 10, find out what you really want and how that aligns with who you really are. Don't get trapped being a success at the wrong thing. And number 11, start the race knowing that you're already enough. Once you win the race, you can either keep moving the finish line or just keep running for the fun of it. So for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you might have seen I posted this yesterday, but I was just amazed because you know when pictures come up in your phone that like were on the same day, but from a few years ago or whatever. So, you know, I pick up my phone and this photo shows up and it's from 10 years ago and it was me in San Francisco and I'm carrying this bag and on the bag is the big letter O and it was from this day where I had gone up to San Francisco to see Oprah and she gave everybody these bags and it was a a thing called O University and it was like this day long and she spoke and she was incredible and a bunch of her peers and and people that she loves spoke and it was just this incredible day and Martha Beck was there Martha Beck spoke and I remember feeling so inspired. Have you ever had a moment in your life or several moments in your life where you you go somewhere or something happens and you're having this experience and something just hits you? It, it just like awakens in you this thing where you're like, I know there's something huge I want to do with my life. And you just start to cry because you're so inspired in those moments. And in that moment, you're like, oh, I just wish I had the clarity of what I'm supposed to do and how the path is going to roll out in front of me. And here I was 10 years ago and this picture comes up in my phone and I realized, oh my gosh, this past week, last week, I had Martha Beck on this podcast. And there I was 10 years ago, I was 28. I was there in San Francisco. I was standing there listening to her speak. And I remember a tear streaming down my face. I was so inspired by her. She's so extraordinary. And I knew I had this desire and I had this 
feeling like I want to do something with my life that lifts other people up. I want to do something. And I, I was, I had been dropped from a record label. I had tried so many other things. I had worked with kids doing mindfulness stuff. I had worked a nonprofit and I was so wanting to do something that would make an impact. And I was frustrated because I didn't know exactly how it would play out or what I was exactly yet supposed to do. And it just dawned on me that here I am, you know, doing that thing. And I was standing there in San Francisco saying to myself, one day I want to sit down with this woman, Martha Beck. I want to interview these people. I want to speak. And I just want to thank every one of you for listening to the show and giving me this space to get to do that thing. But I just wonder sometimes what each one of us would do if we weren't afraid to fail or what each one of us would do if we were not needing to be perfect or what we would do if we didn't have it all figured out and we tried stuff anyway. And in the last 10 years, I've just continued to try things and I was able to tolerate the fact that I didn't feel ready and I didn't feel like I had it all together, but I was willing to do it anyway for the sake of this ultimate thing of of being in alignment. I wanted to find out what am I really here to do? And sometimes the only way to do that is to just dive in with both feet and you're going to be led to the ways in which you're going to be able to contribute the most to the world. And sometimes you can't see, you know, around the corner, you just have to keep going and you take the next step and you're going to learn from it. You're going to learn, is this really me? Is this really what I want? Is this really, you know, me showing up in a way that resonates with the world? But I just want to assure you that when you walk forward towards what makes you happy, magical things will happen and you're on the verge of a miracle. And I just thought that that was pretty darn cool. And I wanted to share that with you guys. And I'm so grateful that here I am 10 years later, I'm doing this podcast and I'm writing a book. And thanks to you, you know, you all have a million things you could be doing with your time. And it means the world to me that you're here. So thank you. And I hope I can continue to remind you that you have something so important and valuable. And I know what it feels like to be frustrated and not be exactly clear of what that thing is. But when you try stuff, sometimes it's like with a dress, you know, you can look at it on the hanger, but you have to actually try it on and zip it all the way up and see, does it fit? Does it look good? Is it really, sometimes you're surprised. You're like, oh, this really does look great. Or sometimes you're like, nah, I thought it looked good on the hanger. But I think that that over and analysis that just really thinking and thinking it's like we have to do we have to do 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 and then we can assess we need to just trust that you're gonna be led to where you're gonna serve the most and what's really magical about you you're gonna find it we just gotta get in the game and it's okay if you don't think you're ready or if you feel like an imposter everyone feels like that and no one's really ready for anything who's ready who's ready to like have a baby and take care of it for the next 18 years and the next 40 years after that. I mean, who's ready for anything? Who's ready to get married? Who's ready to start a business? But when we do stuff that lights us up, we're going to grow and growth is like oxygen. And it's amazing. There is this thing that eventually, if you're willing, if you're willing to soldier on, you're going to find out what that thing is that has been calling to you. And maybe it's a whisper and you're going to start to pay attention to what brings you joy. And just, it's sort of like that game, you know, when you play that, you know, hotter, hotter, colder, hotter, colder, warm, warmer, cold, you know, and you're looking for something around a room, you just keep going and you're going to finally figure it out and you're going to land on it and it's going to be worth it. 
because the world's going to say, I'm so glad that you journeyed on because look what you're doing. It's making such a light in this world. Guys, if you want to reach out to me, you want to connect, you want to send me a message, you want me to respond, I respond to all of my Instagram messages. You can find me at kathy.heller, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R. You can find me on Instagram and um, you can join us on the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. Um, I post there and check in there. I love you guys. Hope you guys have a great week and I'll talk to you next Monday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. So many times I chose to run. So many times I held my tongue. I held my tongue. Never saying what I needed to. But now I'm back in here to fight